I'll just say it's me. I'm very excited. Yeah, if anybody now, hears... Okay, I was told by the producer and the star. We'll hear a lot of feet going on floors. All right, go. Sorry. Yeah, no, if anybody hears panting, just know it's, uh, it's our guest, but Charlie, yeah. for the day. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the, the first question I have is, um, I've just been thinking about it. Um, I guess what, what is, to your memory, what is the kindest thing you've ever done for yourself or that you remember doing for yourself to both of you? For the very first time in six decades, I let myself be loved. Pretty good. Are you open to exploring what that process was? I fucked up so many times. <laughs> I didn't have anything left to pretend to myself with. I just, I just had to either feed myself or probably live a life that would not have been worthy of me anymore. I was living a very unworthy life of me. I was doing things that were just so absolutely not who I was. Out of um, demented adaptation, incorrect adaptation, mm -hmm. filled with a lot of subterfuge and a lot of just bending and shape-shifting. So you, you allowed yourself the free will to, to be who you are and yeah which is really strange Django because in every other corner of my life in my friendships in my work in every other relationship that I had with the world relatives I was exactly who I am but there was a part of me that was so badly wired in my hard wiring that in terms of having a deep loving relationship I had an incapacity I knew I wanted one I knew it, it what it would look like to me it would feel like to me I could not let myself be vulnerable enough to trust I think that's probably the bottom that was probably the key to me is I couldn't trust anything I had so much evidence to tell me that if I trusted I would be annihilated and so I just sort of recalibrated every single thing I did and what that ultimately did was and it, it's no it's no mistake that I've done one man shows so much of my life or projects that I've done were just me doing things because it was in every corner of relationships I took care of everything and I wasn't I I wasn't even present which was perfectly acceptable for the past relationships I was in because they didn't really want anything. I mean, they wanted everything. They just didn't want intimacy. Hmm. They didn't want a real relationship. And I think that uh, that was fine with me because I was too afraid to. Hmm. That's looking backwards. If you asked me while I was in it, I'd go, what are you talking about? Right. This is how I love. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. So it's transactional. Those other relationships were transactional. I'll give you, I will take care of you, and you give me, what did you get? The illusion of a life, the illusion of companionship, 
the illusion of um, home. But I realized that I never had home, although I provided home. I didn't, I was not in home. And that, that's just not just a physical thing, that's a metaphor thing. And it's not just about the idea of, uh, I was, my thinking was so fucked that I just, uh, I was fine. If you ask me, I was fine. I was living a great life, having a great career, having friends, having events, doing things, having fun. Party, 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 party. I was so busy. Right. And it's a different thing to really fall in love, and it's a different thing to be in your home and have a home with someone. I never knew what that could feel like, and I still walk around pinching myself all the time. Do you feel like you felt into the, the cultural expectations of accomplishment and if I have these things, that means I have a good life. And do, no, I know no. what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't. I don't that I don't think that applied to me because I've never been particularly good about anybody defining me or rules or any of that. I never thought about those things. I knew what it meant to me. I I knew there were certain things that 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 would represent to me what feeling. Uh, success meant it wasn't success only means one thing to me and that is freedom that's all it means to me is the freedom to come and go to not have to go to not have to interact to not have to do things that I don't want to do to, to the freedom of movement the freedom mm -hmm. of experiences that's all it means to me and so that's what success has been and that's what it feels like to me so the more that I got that freedom, and, and freedom for access, you know, to access the world the way I wanted to access the world, and to shut out the things that I just find just so ridiculous that I don't want to do, which goes back to not playing by the rules ever. I was lousy at it. I was a terrible student in school. My mother was a teacher. I was a little asshole. I mean, I just don't like being told what to do. <laughs> so you always had that sense of freedom and that aspiration or sense of it or, you know, knowingness of how to achieve it. But maybe now you have achieved a newer level in belonging and having a place to belong. Probably that's a good way to put it. Although I'm not sure I ever knew what I was doing. <laughs> I really, um, I'm a terrible businessman. I never had a plan for success. I never knew what, what that would mean. I knew I wanted to be an artist in some way. I knew I wanted to act. I knew I wanted to do things. And I've just had a lot of luck. And I've had a lot of wonderful people say, look over there, look over there, try that, try this, come with me. What do you think of this? I've just had luck. And a lot of people don't have luck. And I think luck plays a huge role. There are people who really are gifted, who want, who just don't have it. Mm. The luck or the access or, you know, I was, I was a kid, uh, I grew up 18 miles from New York City. So I, could, I had access to the world that I wanted. I didn't have to move across the country. I didn't have to do anything. I was already there and I was already surrounded by people who were in an environment that I wanted to be in, who lifted me, who invited me, who I was exposed to, who saw me, who really saw me and gave me the opportunities to 
use myself. I, I don't know if I was in any other place than I was geographically, or if I was um, not born a white kid in lower middle America, uh, if I would have any of the things that I have. Circumstance luck. Mentors? Oh, my God. I, profound. You want to hear the weirdest thing? What? I, I mean, I've had some remarkable people um, who were famous and who really took me under their wing and showed me and guided me and loved, loved me, adopted me. It wasn't, it wasn't just work. It was loved me, which I could accept from them. But we were just back for Marshall's 50th birthday last uh, to New York um, this past September, September, a year ago, September. And I have been in touch with my junior high school art teacher, Connie Frazier, Donnie, Dr. Dr. Constance Frazier. She is now the head of um, the Human Rights Commission in Rockland County, New York, where I grew up. And we were her first class. So if I was 11, she was probably only 22. <laughs> so I'm going to be 67. She's probably going to be 80 or close to 80. So we had lunch. <laughs> When I was back there, it was a miracle. Wow. And that's somebody who lifted me, who pointed, who dragged me. You know, the field trips she took us on in school and the stuff that she exposed us to and the way in which... And she'd call my parents and she'd say, my mother was a teacher. She had a team a teacher, Julio Tubal, another mentor. And she'd say, Julio and I are going to go see the documentary of Martin Luther King. We want to bring Charlie. My mom would say, sure, what time? They'd pick me up. We'd have an evening with these two wonderful adults. Then uh, on a weekend, one weekend, they'd say, we're going up to New Pulse College, which was, I don't know, an hour and a half from the house. We want to bring him into art, an art class there because I was a really good, like, I, I drew well. And uh, they would bring me to New Pulse College. I walk in, there's naked people. Not a problem for me. <laughs> and because and, and, I ended up, posing nude at Art Students League to pay for my classes years later in New York, but it was my first time exposed to, you know, oh, this is what you do. And I was t 13 maybe, 12 or 13, and I'm in this college class of artists. And they, they saw something in me and they said, we're gonna take him. And they told, I told my parents what was possible and they said, my mother said, sure, go. I understand you saying luck, but those stories tell me there was something about you too that, that made that luck happen? Well, I mean, I'm not discounting you too, all of us. I'm not discounting that I had something to offer that people saw, but mm. the luck came in because there are millions of people who have a light and have gifts, and they don't have the luck or the timing or the or the, the circumstances, because that's. I think that's where the luck comes in. I think that's where it's just, wow. How lucky was I that I had this and this teacher and that right. teacher. I was cast in a play opposite Imogene Coca. She grabbed me by my collar and said, this is what you do. This is, and until she died, she was my closest mentor friend of life. How old were you then? 19. Yeah, so it, it seems to me that ethics is, like work ethic is a huge part of, of success, but also like, you know, I feel so fortunate I'm in a job that ends it. 4.30 right now, and I've never had that before, so I have time to go home and do my work. You? you know? that, I do, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing until 4.30? That's I, great. I work for an artist. I'm like a, a, an apprentice or assistant or whatever you call it, like building frames and stuff. But That's then wonderful. but then I get to go home, and I, you know, if I, when I didn't have that opportunity, I didn't have the chance to, 
discover what was going on and what I wanted to do and who I really was. And so I, I do feel like the luck is there, but the ethic is a huge part of it all too. Like, because if you don't have the discipline to, you know, prepare for the role that you get, you know, or to practice the drawing when you're 13 and, and, and really get there to a place where you're impressive. Um, but I wanted to direct the same question to you, mom. What, what do you think was the, the biggest gift you've given yourself lately or that you remember? The biggest gift I've given to myself, and it's lately. <coughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> that if you could see the size of the dogs wandering around Charlie and uh, Marshall's house, you'd be amazed. They're elephants. They are. They are. It's like three, three elephants. Gentle, gentle giants. Gentle giants. Yeah. But they, uh, you know, they're they're going to make their themselves known. Uh, I'd say that it was um, accepting myself, accepting that I wasn't going to, because I asked the cultural question because that's always been uh, something that uh, I, I just didn't understand why certain things didn't work, why I didn't fit, why I couldn't uh, accept what was happening in my world or to me. Um, and I finally have really accepted this, this, I, I've given myself a big room to be exactly who I am. And if it doesn't fit into boxes, I finally gone, yeah, boxes are a terrible idea. They, they, you, you get into this mindset, uh, right away, especially as a woman, that you must fit into a culturally acceptable box to make yourself easily understandable and manageable to other people. And once I just went, nope, um, uh, it's, it's like taking off a tight suit. It just feels like I, I, I'm not so aware of my limitations or where I stop and the rest of the world begins. It's all you're so strong. I'm sorry. No, 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 please. You're such a strong person. You have such a life force, and your energy is so forward-moving, and you're so expansive. I didn't even consider what it would be like as a woman to have to be to have to consider that you even would have to contain it or make it palatable for other people to handle. But my God, yeah. And to the point where you don't—it's it, very similar. You don't know who you are anymore because you're so used to complying and making yourself acceptable, and you cut this part of yourself off. And don't be too much, too strong, too anything, mm -hmm. too loud, whatever. Um, and suddenly, you—I found myself going, oh, well, then now I don't know who I am. I am this construction uh, that culture seems to find okay, but I don't, I, there's no, there's very little joy in that. And that doesn't really, that hasn't ended, unfortunately. Like, there, there was just a, a, a picture. Rihanna was on the cover of, of some magazine. Did you guys see that? No. She's on the cover, and, and her husband is ASAP Rocky. Do you guys know ASAP Rocky? Yes. He's a rapper, so they're they're like a hip hop all star couple. And Rihanna's walking in the front, and her chest is puffed out, and they're on the beach. And in the back, ASAP Rocky's looking down. He's holding the kid, and people on Twitter oh I saw I saw just this morning oh, were were, were tearing it apart though. What? Because it's like yeah, 
who is this soft, submissive man, oh, Ace Rocky, you. and what is <laughs> Rihanna doing? So it's like the the, <clears throat> the standards that we are kind of forced into. And I, yeah, again, I'm at, like Who's as, as, as shit like that. Or Don Lemon on the morning show just recently saying a woman's prime, prime. is. 20s and 30s and it that's really i mean that's it's quite it it's still very much out there in the world it's and you wouldn't think it would come from don lemon you no. just wouldn't think no. that that with all that don lemon has had to face yes. in terms of stereotyping and boxes that it would come out of his yap that surprises me that did surprise me i thought of all people yeah tucker carlson maybe right don lemon right no weird. agreed that was a weird weird thing can i can i can i say something i want to add to this one of the things that i was able to to figure out which was a an amazing event of awareness in my life was that, that gifted people and this is this transcends sex any isms that gifted people pay a very different price culturally than people who are not and so people who excel, whether they're intellectually gifted, artistically gifted, psychically gifted, but anybody who is not in a lane, a safe lane for people's definitions, the minute you're outside of that lane, the, the, the social prices that are paid are humongous. That comes from, it comes from your own family, it comes from friends. At any step in your life when you achieve or you go further or beyond, there's a level of punishment. Perfect example, Rihanna. I mean, how dare she? How dare she have the audacity to be that? To be confident. To be, yeah. yeah. How dare you? Because that makes other people uncomfortable. Well, how much more gifted could she be? I mean, look at look at the 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 um, Super Bowl. That was that was. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. I thought that woman is a miracle. I just thought she was a fucking miracle, and her her pregnancy and her. It's it it transcends confidence. She just is, and I think you know. I'm thinking about the size of the space and floating in the air and being tethered. No and kidding, being tethered fuck, right? and pregnant. Tethered wow. and pregnant. Well, there's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but so, okay, the through line I noticed for, for both of your answers and probably for mine too, which would just be probably learning how to communicate my feelings directly. I think that's something that I'm gifting myself and it's a weird process and I don't know how to do it really well yet. And I get lost more times than I find myself, but I do end up making progress every time and that's cool. Um, but it's all... Trust. I think that you, you said that earlier, Charlie, and that stuck with me was trusting yourself. And I feel like that's part of your journey as well as trusting what you've been given and who you are and what makes you feel comfortable. I think that's true. And me trusting my feelings. Um, well, there's a huge price to be paid for... We're, we're expected to betray ourselves at every social interaction for other people's comfort. So we're oh. expected to not... Yes. Uh, you know, speak our minds or express something that is untoward or use colorful language, whatever it is, that we as humans tend to stay tribal and you back away, we're told to back away from what would be acceptable so we don't get clubbed to death in the, in the tribe. And so just for you, Django, just to be able to say that you want to say something and that is a challenge for you, I don't know why that is exactly, but I venture to guess 
that some of it has to do with what will, how will I be acceptable if I say blank? Or will I be acceptable? Or will I be loved, liked, embraced? Are they, they going to throw me to the wolves if I declare this about myself or that about myself or any of those things? Be, but the, the, the basis for, I think, most social interactions is self-betrayal. And you see it in, in massive... You see it, the, the most extreme, and this is no disrespect to uh, Southern women, but the, the stereotype of, oh, bless her heart. Yes. That is the, le- that is the height of self-betrayal because what they really want to say is, isn't she a bitch? I hate her. I want her dead. But instead, they betray themselves and say, because it's nice, bless her heart. Or they or he, I'm putting people in a box by making that statement, but I'm doing it to be illustrative. Big word. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop and look that up. Wait, I don't know if it's real. I, just made, I maybe made it up. <laughs> we have fact checkers for that. Uh, fact checker. I'm free. But maybe, maybe why it's hard for you and why it's a, it's a task for you is because you have to figure out how to do that and still be loved. Because if you are unlovable, you will cease to exist. And so I think that is a basis for many interactions. We, we, we learn to cut pieces of ourselves off in order to survive. Yeah. And that, in that, that presupposes that the people we're trying to please are even worthy of our love at all. Because right. if they were, they would love us as we are. Right. Yeah. And also what that sets up, if you're not who you are with the people that you love, there's always, and, and it's going well and you're loved, you always have this thing in the back of your head going, yeah, but if I was really who I am, this wouldn't exist. So even if you're being loved, it kind of ruins it. It, mm. it, it denies that, that it could be true because you're still not being who you are. I love that phrase, betray, we betray ourselves. Yeah, self-betrayal. It, 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 it's so pervasive, and I get. It, it, here's a great example: you're you're in a store, and somebody slams into you with a shopping cart, and the and people who do this, I've seen people do the opposite, and I applaud them. But I was not one of them. I get slammed. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. Like, what the hell was I do? How I was in your way? I'm unworthy. You fucking idiot! It just slammed into me. <laughs> you know, put your fucking phone down. And there's some. There, you're in a public place. Pay attention. But it would be, oh, me, I'm sorry. Well, if that isn't the utmost self-betrayal, how ridiculous is that? In the name of what? You don't want to create a conflict in a store? How about, oh, they say, oh, I'm sorry, uh, instead of me saying I'm sorry. Or how's this? <laughs> Something like, guess you're not looking where you're going. I don't know. Or ouch, how's that? Or hi, that was interesting, but not, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just find that weird. Well, I noticed going back to the notion of like, you know, the, the, our inability to trust ourselves coming from the institutions and, and whatnot. Like I noticed, I, I, I don't ever go on Twitter. I, don't, I have like, I've never posted on Twitter, but I randomly looked at it this morning and that's where I saw the Rihanna stuff going down. And I also noticed, um, Pierce Morgan was tweeting that Sam Smith is a mental illness 
And then I scrolled a little bit further down and I saw these far left people saying conservatism is a mental illness. And it was really crazy because it was like, in my mind, it just created these like two worlds that are completely separate. And anything outside of that is just the worst thing ever. And how could you be raised in a family around Pierce Morgan and feel the freedom, you know, that we're talking about and that that trust to, you know, whatever, be yourself or even, you know, God forbid if, if, if you're, you know, the, the uncle of, uh, and I don't know, it doesn't really work as well the other way around, but the uncle of who, the uncle of who, who's the, uncle, the uncle of the uncle of the, the guy who tweeted that conservatism is a mental illness. You know, I'm, it, it's just, it, it's just, it's just these, these, these extremes. And, and you mentioned when I first walked in, you said you look ground or you look uh, balanced to balanced. me. Balanced, you said grounded, yeah. Because because I think I think the prior time we met was years back, mm -hmm. and I was very much in a place where I was frozen and coping with past traumas and what what it does. It just it just freezes you up. I mean, to the point where you can't express the most basic thing, and it's so frustrating. And you don't know, like you have no idea what else is out there, you know, in terms of expression, in terms of uh, what you can and can't say, because everything is scary. But yeah, I, I... You become paralyzed. You become paralyzed. And, which is interesting to me, because in that paralysis, if, if you build a wall in front of you to protect the world from coming in, that's one thing. But walls do not have swinging doors, so nothing can get out either. I mean, a wall is kills everything. So... It's not once you do that. Once you're behind that, in, you're in that space. Nothing can. There's no flow of anything. You're just stuck, and that to me is a terrible paralysis. But I think artists get get in that all the time. I think that's what artists do, is that you know we in 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 trying to be creative or being afraid to go too big or too much or to inhabit something the way we want to, shut down, and that also goes to are we pleasing? Will we love? Will we be loved? Right. As I, opposed to, I got, I got a story I got to tell here, and this is my job to tell the fucking story. As opposed to, oh, I, I hope they like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently read that um, the artist, like the greatest gift an artist can have, is this like innate, extreme sensitivity, which is also the greatest downfall of 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 a great artist. You know, is that that way of seeing the world, you know, where, where you feel everything so much. And that's why it, it was in a, a book that had to do with music so that he was citing like, you know, Kurt Cobain or any of these artists that get caught up in addiction. You know, it's like that same, I feel it all is what makes people need to feel better so badly and desperately. I think you're right. I think it's a double-edged sword, but that goes back to, to me, the curse of being gifted. I think intellectually brilliant people, I think, uh, remarkable athletes. I just think people who are not in the, the basic structure of what is considered a norm have a different set of constructs. It's not good or bad. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And yes, artists are hypersensitive, but I, here's, here's a flip side to which makes me laugh, but, um, oh, Coco, you're not gonna mind that I say this. So, Imogen Coco's acting partner 
was Sid Caesar, who I just loathed. I just found him to be an objectionable bore on all levels. The world, I've never seen a narcissist like this in my life. Mm. And she was just the opposite. She was this, this available, fragile, vulnerable, joyful imp. She just danced with the world. Everything was immediate and felt and responded to in a, with in an unbelievable open heart. She never said anything negative about him, but she did say this because he had been acting so poorly for so long. And I said to her, God, I loathe that son of a bitch. And she looked at me and she says, darling, why do you think it is that the most sensitive people are so fucking hypersensitive? And that's the double-edged sword I never thought about. Mm. I thought, yeah, he, is, he, took, he has taken his great sensitivity, which, which was, I think, responsible for his great artistry, and then he has armed it. He has made it lethal and nuclear. And so his fear of being seen, found out, take dis, disenfranchised, whatever it was, I'm not postulating what the fuck he felt, but whatever it was, and he was an addict for years, a known alcoholic, and he did recover. And I wonder in that work, in the recovery, if he figured anything out. Because I didn't know him when he was alcoholic. I only, only knew him as a sober person and still found him objectionable. Mm. But he was so, in my opinion, in, invulnerable. You couldn't get, there was no access. I mean, if, I, if people have signs over their head or T-shirts, his would say, no access, access denied. You couldn't, get, you couldn't get near him, not that I wanted to. But there was no warmth. There was, and I saw these two beings find a way artistically to make absolute genius together. And how that exists, how that frequency could exist with two such opposing beings. And there was love between them. They did, they did have affection for each other. She did not dislike him. But it was, it was when I saw them socially, they had nothing to say. Hmm. Nothing. It was, it, was, it was fascinating to me. What do you think was the biggest lesson you learned from her? I mean, these Django yeah. were comedy giants. What was the name again? Imogene Coca and Sid Caesar. Okay. And they were like, you can't get bigger at the time. And that you were taken under her wing is like, can you say what she taught you? It's easier to say what she didn't teach me. Mm. Um, my God, I... Uh, there, there are, I'll give you I'll give you two brief stories that happened early on in our friendship. One was I was hired opposite her and she was 67 and I was 19 and nobody. And the purveying rumor uh, with the chorus boys was that I had slept with the director to get the part. And so I couldn't possibly have any value which was the furthest thing from the truth. And she looked at me one day and she said, "Hun, I want you to know something. I said, what she said, I know how old you are. And like, I was just totally naked. I said, you do? She said, yes. She said, I was 19 once. She said, you know what? This is, and we were doing Once Upon a Mattress. She said, this is a fairy, this is a fairy story. 
There are no ages. Let's have a ball. That's what I learned from her. There was a grace and an acceptance and a love and a it didn't I, it, that was such a loaded, massive example of the grace that she was and the acceptance that she was and the kindness that she was. And I would watch her do a number every night which she would refine to a hair where the audience would lose their mind with laughter and she'd come off stage and I was always waiting for her and she'd say, um, ah, this one night she said, I don't know, hon, I, I, I don't think it's going so well. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? You're killing it. She said, no, I can do better. I know I can do better. I have to think about it. Um, here's me, 19, watching this and watching the response, and I'm looking at the actual artist creating that reaction, and she still was not happy. And then she said to me, you know, someone once told me I had pretty good timing. I said, are you fucking crazy? You are timing. You invented timing. That was, she was a miracle. The next night, she comes back, and the frenzy that she had worked up in this one number was worked up to where they were stomping and screaming and flying out of their seats. And I saw her fine tune it in a way that blew my mind. And I think that was, that was another element of her, was her, her, her availability, her vulnerability. But as an artist, her lack of arrogance about what she did and her love of what she did, yeah, and her respect for what she did. Extreme interest in, in that interaction with an audience and how that, what that alchemy is. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty astonishing to me. And she would say to me, you know, she was terrible, terrified of flying. And she'd say, um, I spoke to um, someone who said to me, don't pray that you don't crash. Don't. Don't pray for yourself. Don't go, oh, please, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Say, what a beautiful day this is. I hope everybody on this flight has a beautiful flight, that all the baggage handlers, that the food preparers, that the janitors, that the ticket takers, that the people at the curb, everybody involved with their fight, flight in this family, they all have a beautiful, wonderful day. And that she applied to an audience. What she applied to an audience is something that I always consider, and that is I have to, I want them to have a wonderful time. Not, oh, I hope they love me. I, I want this audience to be full of pleasure now, or joy. I've, I've seen some performers, I've had experience of watching performances where I feel like the, and, and what do you think of this? That it's not about the audience, it's about pushing the audience. It's about uh, uh, the performer experiencing themselves and you like it, you don't like it, tough. But that's a little bit different. That's different. Everybody has their own way of doing shit. I mean, but what it's do you think of performers like that? I think if they have, if the audiences love that, 
and that's their that's their way of expressing. It's wonderful. But what if they don't? I'm I'm. Well, I guess what I'm looking for is what is the responsibility of an artist to uh, it, not please, because I know what you're saying about that, but reach, connect. I think touch. we're talking about the same thing. Tell, do your job. Tell the story. Right. But in that, don't say, oh, oh, right. I hope they love me. I, I have something. Uh, here's a present. Here's a present, and I'm going to give it to you, and I hope you receive it. I think that's maybe more the point. Yeah. And, and it's not about, oh, golly, oh, boy, oh, I hope it fits, oh, I hope they don't return it. That's a whole other event. But I think we're saying the same yeah. thing. There are those performers who are just so courageous. You just go, my God, no apology, fearless, and it's thrilling. Talk about Rihanna, thrilling. Yeah. That's, what, that's what absolutely moved me about her was her just, here it is, because she knows herself and she knows what she's she knows what she has to give i don't think she i don't know i shouldn't even make this leap my guess is she's not sitting back there going oh boy oh here we go oh i hope they like me i think she's going all right let's go come on come on come on whatever and that may cover her terror god knows i have a lot of things to cover my terror but you know when it's time that's it that's it there's nothing else you better not, you better not piss yourself. You better be on it. And you better be there and you better be present. And that's, that is whatever that is. Yeah. As opposed to coming on with an apology or some sort of, well, let's see. That, nobody pays to see that shit. That's right. So a uh, quick pivot. Um, I wish I was could, recording could that. Could you say, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> could you have said that any sweeter? <laughs> just, uh, to, just to note. Hey, asshole, don't fucking touch the wires. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, for anyone listening, I, I asked Charlie uh, not to touch the wire. Uh, Are we back yeah, on? Yeah, we're back on. Okay. So, so I, was, I was obviously touching the wire, and I was feeling them up and rubbing them and, you know, doing my thing. And as one would. As one does. Yeah, I'm very yeah, tactile. Yeah. So if, if it's, if it's uh, comfortable to you, if you're open to it, I was wondering if we could talk about uh, your career a little bit because I mean there's more credits to even we'd have to do a three-part uh, podcast and and we haven't properly introduced you but Charlie Adler um, voice actor extraordinaire help help fill in the gaps here a director director writer. Uh, unbelievable teacher I've been his student uh, performer I mean it it goes on and on with fantastic credits and fantastic work behind you but there, there was something that I feel like I remember seeing in your in your profiles or whatever the research I did. It wasn't very deep or extensive, but I did notice and it grabbed my attention that there was a moment that you started acting, and then there was a moment when you took a break from the creative world, so to speak, yeah. before coming back. And I was curious about, I guess, that liminal space, that that space in between how it felt, what you were filling your time with, where your aspirations were. Were you in the right place during that time? No, I don't know. I don't know that you're ever in a wrong place. I think that what you what you make of whatever place you've been in is the right place in hindsight. So, I mean, was it a brilliant choice? Probably not in terms of 
having a career path or a sane career path or a career path that other people would follow in order to get a result of a successful career. But I was too damaged a person, and so I followed what I thought was a relationship. He said burping, pardon me. <laughs> um, must be something I ate. This is better tasting tuna. I, I, just, I, I just did that, and, and I moved on to a houseboat. Uh, and lived on that for three years, including in the winter. And then I uh, was a janitor in a church because it had a free apartment attached to it with this relationship, which was, which was interesting. And um, one day I just got tired of cleaning toilets and working seven days a week. And uh, in a trance with my latex pink rubber gloves and a Johnny mop from scr scrubbing a urinal, uh, I walked across the street to trance to the free apartment that had heat and um, called an agent. She said, where the fuck you been? Get back. And so I did mm -hmm. and um, gathered, literally had to borrow money to take the bus from Nyack, New York, back to the city. And then within uh, two weeks, I was starring on Broadway. It was, the, it was just, it was timing. Oh, my God. It was weird timing. It was just everything just... From the from from going to her office to her sending me to a commercial audition to uh, Roger Sturdivant, who was a casting director, who said to me, "Where the hell have you been?" And I said, well, "I don't know." Blah, blah, blah. He said, "Well, who's representing you for legit for theater?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." He said, "Well, I'm gonna hold on a second. He makes a phone call. He says, "Here's this woman, uh, Ellen Flack, at Harry Abrams, and go." And I had no money for for anything I had to walk I walked to that office she said to me oh they're looking for someone to replace Harvey Firestein in Tort Song Trilogy uh, go to Hughes Moss casting read the sides I read the sides I took my borrowed money back to the bus got back to the uh, free apartment free yeah Jesus Christ free my ass and um, I had a callback and had to reverse it and had three callbacks and then I got the gig so it's a, it sounds like you were still living this kind of beatific, poetic. You uh, know, I don't know. I don't. I don't mean to glorify. You know the whatever the 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 moments when, uh, who knows how to describe it. Was it was a moment. hard motherfucker, but I loved it, and it. I learned, as Coco would say, any idiot can have a good time at a party. It's when the fields are fallow when you really learn. And they were pretty fucking fallow. But I loved it. I mean, I was young. I was 22, 23, 24, 25. I think I went back to work when I was 27. So I dropped out between 23 and 27. So I had four years of nothing. I would, and I had a lot of commercials on the air, so I would get these residual checks. And then they paid. So it wasn't like money to live on, but it was money to go and have a Sunday breakfast. It was Monday, Monday, money to buy a pair of sneakers. You know, it was, it was something extra to live on, and that started to dry up because over time, you know. But I couldn't describe my career, Django, because it's the most not linear, ridiculous, r random, un unexplainable to me uh, career. And all I know, and this goes back to luck. All I know. And this also goes back to me, um, I think, being willing. And I, I think there was also a part of me that was terrified of starvation. Because once I lived on the boat, 
and was a janitor after that, it was clear to me that I could not do that again, that I was going to have to do everything that I could to not do that again. And that goes back to the earlier part of the conversation, success meant freedom. I had no freedom, zero freedom. I was an indentured servant. I had nothing. I had no resources. I had no, uh, no freedom. I had no... I did not have, in my opinion, a sense of joy. It was drudgery, and it became really, really a wake-up call. So it was a very important time, for sure. But I think that also drove me where I went, no, nope, I'm not, nope, nope, don't like it. I can't clean toilets for the rest of my life. I was good at it. I was a good fucking janitor. I was. I was really proud of myself. I took care of a one square block church complex school office building thrift shop and i worked my ass off wow and that's a it, lot it was a lot and you know stripped 20 years of wax off of floors with buffering things and you know it was good for me i learned stuff about myself that i would not have otherwise learned so i i what i want to do it again nope but it was so that's but to me a life is a career so that in my opinion was as much a part of my career as my work life is a part of my career i don't think they're i don't think they're separate entities i think they're all one event i mean i say this over and over and i'm like a broken record you want to vomit when i say this i'm sure at this point but you know i think i think a good life and a good career look like a bad ekg it's, <laughs> I just don't think anything is, you know, oh. Linear, ah, yes. Ooh, wee, yes. 40,000 feet up. Ah, <laughs> and that's where you stay. You drop. Right. <laughs> you drop a lot. Right. So it's all, you know, I think it's all one long fucking day. We were, we were just talking yesterday. I think we, we both had different metaphors for it, but we, we were in a conversation on the phone about how the, the, um, the valleys make the peak that totally. much more yeah. totally. beautiful. Completely. And who knows, it's weird to even describe those times as a valley, you know, because there's always something that's going to, you know, an annoy you, and there's always going to be something beautiful going on in life. Like, there's no no real, real distinction. It's just the environment that you're in, you know. Yeah. But, but, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Can I ask you both a question? Because I feel like I'm, I, I really don't get it. And this is very minor. I'm talking about texting and especially the heart emoji. Now, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get the colors. Oh, I don't either. I don't get it. What is a hepatitis heart? Well, I don't know what that is. One is a lime heart. One I'm is a getting closer to red is love. I get that. And it's like a glass of water. It, it, it's water. It's love. Well, well, How does love change? Red, red implies. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love this thing that's driving you mad. <laughs> well, if you just look at it like who gives a shit, it's just we wouldn't have. It's variety. It's people have different. I don't know. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's not the real it's thing. You well, the, 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 it's hierarchical. <laughs> The nuance comes in when when you're you know like of a of a online flirting age you know and mm. like if you send a red heart 
to somebody early on. It's you too know, much. That's like implying that you're there's something oh. sensual and there's something romantic about a red heart, you know, or or just like deep you know, familial love or real, real love, I think is symbolized by the red heart. And the others are just to not be, uh, to, to be democratized about it. So you could send your favorite color. I, I think, I don't think there's like a, you know, like the wristband thing. Yeah, you got think, me, honey. I don't think the yellow the heart is the, this, and, you know. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, 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 I have problems. I, I love that it's burning a hole in your panties. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It does. It's like, you know, a lot or a little, but it's the same thing. But there are different shades of red, too. There's one... But don't, I don't... Why? I don't know. I don't know why. Why is the sky blue? But... I don't know. I just... It's the whole idea of love. Lo- is is love different? <laughs> I, Charlie, I'm, do you, I'm do you have an extra 45 it. minutes? I think we have to... I think do we I, have to is, dive, lo- is love different than what? Non-love? <laughs> <laughs> I no, think I mean if you have love for somebody and you know but that's a red heart and you love someone <laughs> that's blue okay so now that's different than, do you know well, if you think, well if uh, think, I'm horribly colorblind so love to, are you really it, yes so love to me in that mix is like I don't know you right. got me all right if you think somebody's hot you send the the red heart with the flames on it that's like I find they have flames on it. Attractive. Yeah. You must have a different phone than I have. No, I have that one. No, I mean, a lot I, of them. I, I, I know that one. There's like a bell pepper emoji now. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. I think it's just I want to get bell pepper. It peppers. means heartburn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I hate peppers. So, Charlie, <laughs> where are you? What are you doing when you right now? I, I have a feeling you're almost always who you are and in your own skin. But where are you? Who are you with? What are you doing when you are like, yes, this is life? Right now, with this man to my left, is everything. Work for me outside of that is a wonderful way to continue to have freedom and to have a life together and his, what he does, is the same. And it, it, it's, as my business manager would say, not about this, but I've heard him say this about other things, uh, one pair of pants, different pockets. But it's one pair of pants. Hmm. And so that's the life that we're living. And my work only complements that, in my opinion. And um, everything we do is around our life together, our home together, what we've decided is our higher goods together our friends, our relationships, um, projects. And so for me, that's where I am. Is work easier or does work tend to be a distraction from No, work's your wonderful. Life? It's so easy for me now. I, I, easy in the sense that I've been doing it for so long, it's, I'm just, a lot of my work is crystalline for me. The only challenges that ever really come up come in the form of assholes. And, it, and which are very few and far between anymore. I mean, even I've even learned how to navigate pains in my ass better than I used to when I was younger, and I was just yelling at everybody and telling people to fuck off and declaring myself. And now it's like oh, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to save that. Who cares? Now, what he hears when I come upstairs, Tourette's, <laughs> is a whole other event. 
but but in the event of it, it doesn't really cost me the way it used to cost me. Uh, what it used to cost me. And now, was it a sentence what it used to cost me? Yes, it was. What it used to cost me. Um, and I'm, I am on six, I'm directing six shows. And I have a seventh that is in the wings. Wow. And I have time because I have my studio home now. Everything's on Zoom. So I just hit a different link. It, it is so wonderful to me. And they have different, different vibes and different people. And um, it's been, it, it, it's just been unbelievable. And that th that concert I did that you, you oh. it, that's coming out now March on PBS. Brilliant. Let's see what that let's see what that begets. If anything, it may it may maybe people wipe their ass with it. I don't know. But I had such joy in doing it, and and that is a whole other entity of hope. And what's the name of it? And when's it coming out? Uh, don't the Shoebird. Um. I think March. It's March. Good. I think oh, it's, it's be real. Where are we now? Well, February. Oh, so it's it's tomorrow. around the corner. Tomorrow. Yeah. That's thinking about. It's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a question for you. What would you tell your twenty-six-year-old self if you could? By the way, back? I I forgot that I was twenty-six. The other day, I woke up. You I forgot. really you couldn't 26? couldn't yes. remember if I was twenty-five or twenty-six. And it took me like an hour or two to, to really figure out that I was 27. I, I had my 26th birthday. Django, you yeah. freaked me out. You're like so whole and together and sturdy. And for, you're 26, you little motherfucker? <laughs> I, I, I'm, 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 I'm in awe. I really am. I, that, wow. Thanks, Charlie. But I'm going to tell you this. Oh, oh no, touch the wire. Wait, hold on. Told not to touch wires and things. Um, you're, I think, 27. Voice over king. <laughs> well, I'm a terrible technician. Uh, That's why I have engineers tell me to shut my mouth and back off and all this shit. Um, I think 27 for a man is a huge turning point. I think 27 and 42 are like seminal explosions of sh shift. Not for everybody, but. It looks to me like you're just cresting towards that going 60, <laughs> 5, 70, past the speed limit. Look at you, 26. What would you say? Oh, to, to myself? To, to your 26-year-old oh. self. Um, yeah, now. Oh, I forgot the question. Yeah. I want to say now. <laughs> um, other than shut your toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd have so many things. I probably would say, don't go there. Don't, don't, you know, the, the horror movies, don't open the basement. Yeah. That was a good deal of my life. I should have said that to myself and I didn't. And then, um, I don't know, probably. But then the trajectory wouldn't be to that's, this that's place. What I'm, yeah, that's what I, I am, comes up I, for me. You cannot, it's in the sauce. You can't change the spice. You got to fuck up and you, you got to go there, you know. Not only you, you got to fuck up, you will fuck up. There's no way to avoid right. fucking up. Right. Or you're dead. Or a liar, or a politician. I mean, you you can't you you have to you have to fuck up. And I think my fuck ups are way more uh, in a column. If there was a column of the right thing and the wrong thing, I think the fuck ups probably for me have been very prolific. I'm a prolific fucker upper. <laughs> it's like bounty, the quicker fucker upper, wasn't that? Isn't that? No. 
That no, that oh, was pick it. her upper. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> what's a diff? What's a what, what's a consonant and a vowel <laughs> amongst friends? So should we talk about what we're having for dinner? I, I, I don't know what, what the well, situation is. We're at Charlie and Marshall's house, this gorgeous house with elephants walking around. And, and I might add great lighting, and, which I can't and, get over. Yeah, great lighting. <laughs> Fourth time I'm mentioning So it. we've ordered from an Italian restaurant we all love and have eaten from before. So we're all, you're having pasta. Great. You didn't know that. But Fantastic. we ordered pasta for you and it... It'll be here. Pasta, egg, pie, nice parmesan, salad chicken. <laughs> little cottage cheese. You're having a giant plate. Yeah, Usually we, we, I've cooked. We ordered from the restaurant, but we, we made you pasta with butter. That's <laughs> it's great. <laughs> the child's dinner. Yeah. I love that. I love pasta with butter. I, I do too. It's too. Oh my God. Favorite. It's like comfort food. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a little parm. Yeah. Oh man, it's so good. When I Fuck used, olive oil, butter. When I used to cook for the children, you know, lamb chops and rice and broccoli, something, and we were going out to dinner, Matthew and I. He would always want the children's meal. It's like, I want that. I want that. Well, here's the great thing about um, delivery now. Uber and all that. They don't know if you're a fucking kid. You know, if you if you <laughs> yeah. go into a restaurant and you say, I would, I, I'd like I'd like the pasta with butter. They go, well, you know, that's got an extra charge that you're an adult. But now, and I do this all the time. I get I get the children's mac and cheese, or I get the I get the chicken finger fried finger on a, on a menu. Cause yeah, because they don't. What are they, what the, who the fuck do they know they're delivering to? No, no betrayal kids. of your appetite. There is to be no betrayal of Charlie Adler's I appetite. I eat like I'm going to the chair. I'm like I swear <laughs> to God, every meal is my last meal. Right? I'm a big fucking pig these days. I can't stop eating. I don't know what the deal is. I've I've had an appetite lately too. It's good. Cheeseburgers, <gasps> cheeseburgers. I've I've been I've had several this week. That's it's unbelievable. Where do you get? Wait, do you make them or you? I order make them? them. I order them. I we go out for them. Where do you we go, go out, out for to them? Calabasas? Wait, there's this place in Calabasas that has great. I don't know what it's called. It's right near a doctor's office that <laughs> I go to, and we stop there. Wait, Cheeseburger. Wait, 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 wait. You describe the place because it's so hard to get a good burger anymore. Oh, it well, it's like a smokehouse. And what is it, Matthew? And well, Neiman Marcus has a great cheeseburger. Needless markup. Needless markup has a great cheeseburger. But it's this place in Calabasas that has barbecue. It's a barbecue place. But where is it? You're not helping me. On off, you have to get off. uh, Is it Charleston? No, Moore Park. Get off on Moore Park. And go right, and then it's in this... That's not Calabasas. What is it? Oh, Thousand Oaks. It's in Thousand Oaks. (laughs) It's in Thousand Oaks. We go to Thousand Oaks. Thank you, Aunt Edna. (laughs) (laughs) You're leaving. You became... No, who is Marion Lorne? Marion Lorne on Bewitched was Ed Clara. Samantha. I would love to play Aunt Clara. Oh, well, you are. You just were Aunt Clara. Yeah, yeah. there's a real side to me. Yeah, there is. Okay, so we get off. We get off. Exit what? Exit. More par- more, yeah, Moore Park, and go to the right, and then right opposite Lens Crafters. <laughs> take a left. Okay. Wait, I don't so know what the well, is. it's right by a chiropractor. Oh well, see, you go to the chiropractor and then go and have a cheeseburger. 
with onion rings. Oh, we don't know the fucking name of it, but it's by a lens. You'll find it. It's opposite <gasps> lens crafter. Oh, I'm going to do a slow fade out on this. Oh, are we done? It's called Bandits. Bandits. Bandits Bar and Grill. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, what's a cheeseburger? You're going to get letters from vegans. Yeah. Do not. A cheeseburger.